Well, good morning, everybody. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. We got as far as verse 16 last week, so we'll go 17 to 24 today. Entitled the message, The New Man. That if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a new man, you're a new woman. A new man or woman in Christ. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new for you. Amen? And so why don't we begin by the reading of uh, verse 17 through 24. It says, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, we thank you for the word. Oh, minister to us now, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to strive to be better and better for your glory. Lord, we know that you won't force us, that we still have free will. But Lord, we need strength from you in order to press on and to finish and to finish well. So stir us up today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I entitled this message, The New Man. Important stuff that we've been going through as a church, and, and I hope you've been blessed as we look through chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians. It's shared with us how God sees us. And that's so important for you to understand. When you understand how much God loves you and how He sees you and what He's done for you, then it's easy to serve Him. That's why we don't tell people what they can do for God until we tell them what God has done for them. And when you understand that, boy, it's really easy to say, listen, boy, you've done so much. I just want to show my appreciation and my love and serve. And so that's the purpose of chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now, at the beginning of chapter 4, we saw that Paul called us out as a church to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And then he tells us as a church how we should look, that we should, be, we should have lowliness, we should be humble, we should be meek, we should be kind. We should bear one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the body of Christ. All these great things that we're supposed to do as a church to be an example to others. That we're one body and one spirit, just as we were called in one hope. One baptism, one God and Father, one Lord, one faith. I mean, he puts all these things down there and he encourages us that he, he says, listen, I'm, I'm not going to let you do this on your own. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. I've got to go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit can't come. This is going to benefit you. And so we, we go in our lives, we give our life to Jesus, and then we, we hear His calling. We know it's clear. We're like, I can't do that. And He's like, you're right, you can't. But you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And He places His Spirit inside of you so that He will give you the power and the ability to do all things in His name. I always worry about the person that thinks they're qualified to serve Jesus. God looks for the ones who just feel like, I can't do this. And he loves that because when he has a, a heart like that, 
He knows you're not going to get in the way. And he likes to do a lot with a little. He always blows our minds. Throughout the scriptures, we see him do great things with the least of, of people. And he does that just to baffle the unbelievers and to confound the wise. And, and he uses us. I mean, come on, how many people are baffled that God's using us now? I mean, it's crazy when you stop and you think about it. So he tells us that he gives us gifts. Now, he, he gives us gifts as um, apostles. He gave to the church. He talks about these giftings he gives to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. And we talked about that last time. And, and then he goes on to tell us that the purpose of the pastor teacher, the purpose of the, the ministry of, of, of all these things is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That we're supposed to equip you so that you intend will do the work of the ministry. But if the work of the ministry is all just set upon the pastor, then nothing ever gets done because the pastor's just spinning plates trying to do everything. That's why we so appreciate the people in this church that sign up and get involved because you guys lighten the load for me to be focused on what I'm supposed to be doing is praying and teaching the Word. Very important to understand that. We, we saw an example of that in the book of Acts when the widows, the Grecian widows, were arguing with the Jewish widows that were Christians. They were born again. They were feeling left out. And, and they, they turned it to the apostles and said, you guys handle it. And they said, listen, you guys appoint deacons. And allow that way, because we could do this for you, we can take care of these things for you, but our, we're better off just being in prayer and teaching the Word. And so the importance of teaching the Word and caring for the sheep and feeding the sheep is to equip the sheep because sheep reproduce sheep. And, and, God's, and God even went so far as that He said um, later on in last week's message, He told us that when every part does its share, the body grows. So you've been called. You've been given a gift. Are you doing your share? We need to. Amen. We need to. God wants to use you. And I'll tell you what, it's such a blessing to be used by God, isn't it? You know, so now he comes to this section where he's, he's, he's told us what we should be as a church. And now he's going to tell us what we should be as an individual. And he starts off with this portion of Scripture saying that we need to put off the old man boy, that old man rises up real quick, doesn't it? I mean, it's so funny. You know, the funny thing is, um, the Bible tells us to crucify the flesh. The Bible tells us to die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow after Jesus, right? The Bible says, kill the old man. It doesn't say rehab the old man. You can't rehab the old man. That, that, the, see, here's the thing. Here, the reason is this. I'm redeemed but my body's not yet. Does that make sense? My spirit, my soul is redeemed, but this body is not redeemed yet. It's still corrupted. And, and there's going to be a day that when I stand in the presence of God, I'll have my new body, and I won't ever sin again. Amen. But see, the thing is, Paul tells us that the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and you find yourself doing the things you don't want to. You're a believer, and you're like going, why am I doing this? And Paul's saying, I'm doing the stuff I don't want to do, and the stuff I want to do, I'm not doing. So you're sitting there saying to yourself, you know what, I need to serve, I need to serve. God's calling me, I need to serve. And then it comes around Sunday to sign up, and you don't sign up. I'm not putting a guilt trip on you, I'm just, this is how I ran it. This is how I did it when I got saved. It was like, okay, yeah, I need to serve, and yeah, I don't want to do that. There's a battle going on. 
And God says, put the old man to death. You can't rehab the old man. You know, you know the purpose when you, when you fast and pray, right, is to weaken the flesh. Because the more the flesh is weakened, the more the spirit can soar, right? And so we fast and we pray to weaken the flesh, to break it down. Because I'll tell you what, that flesh will come up against you so fast, it's ridiculous. If I give my flesh a crumb, it'll rise up against me to take me out. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's looking at me like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't have that battle. If you don't have that battle, you're probably not a believer. <laughs> you better check your pulse because we're all warring against the flesh. And it's nonstop and it's not going to stop until we're with Jesus. Until he takes us out of here and we're standing in his presence with that new body. But it isn't amazing. When people on this island have seen you transformed. That guy's a Christian. Right. And the evidence of it is just a whole new life, a whole new perspective. Just now you're loving. Now you're forgiving. You've changed the way you speak. You don't curse anymore. You don't tell dirty jokes. You're not doing drugs. You're not getting drunk. You're not living an immoral life. Praise the Lord, huh? You know, but here's the one thing that's interesting that I found in my life is that I got all those outside things out of the way. So I look pretty good on the outside. And then God says, hey, Hey, back that truck up. <laughs> Dump that stuff out. Here's a whole new batch of things that you need to work on. The stuff that goes on in my heart and in my mind. And then you conquer that. And you're thinking, all right, I'm doing good. And he goes, oh, got some more for you. Yeah. It's a never-ending thing. But God is changing us from glory to glory. Yeah. We're not what we're used to be. We're not what we should be. But we're looking a lot better than the old man, aren't we? And we need that progression. You need to keep moving forward. Nowhere in the Bible does it say retreat. We either stand, walk, or run. And when the enemy's attacking you and you feel like everything's coming down on you, you just stand your ground. And you keep trying to just get forward. But don't do it in your own power. Do it in the power that he supplied for you. So important for us to understand that. So now he's going to show us, since he showed us how we should look at it as a church, he's going to show us how we should be as individuals, that every one of us individually has responsibilities to live for Christ, to serve God, to understand that we're still battling our flesh, to understand that we still need to make an effort, even though we say Christ did it all. Christ paid it all on the cross. Christ paid for your sins. God gave you eternal life. He's also going to give you the power. He's broken the power of sin in your life. He's also going to give you the Holy Spirit to give you the power to do with all things in His name. But you still need to make an effort. So He did it all, but we need to make an effort. Why? Because the flesh is going to fight us every step of the way. How many of you didn't want to get up this morning to come to church? No, I mean, I was comfortable in my bed. I don't sleep. I, I, I wake up like at 11 at night, and I'm up all night. I wake up at 1, 2, 3. That's like my normal time. But it's funny, when I go to bed on Saturday nights, I, I, come Sunday, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm just so comfortable. That's the battle of the flesh. The only day that I need to get up for sure 
The flesh just wants to stay in bed. Oh, it's just comfortable right there. Man, you were sleeping so good. Why would you want to ruin this? And then my day off Monday, I'll be awake at 1 o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep. There's a war going on. It's a nonstop war, and it's not going to stop until we're in our new body. But you've got to fight the good fight. We've got to put the effort in. Like I said before, I'm redeemed, but my body isn't, and we still have free will. And God gave you free will. And with that free will, it's so important that you have that free will because you need to make a choice whether you love Him or you don't. And even when you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that free will, He still doesn't tamper with your free will because He wants you to serve Him because you love Him. He can, you know, it's like, you hear people say, well, why didn't God just save everybody? Well, then it wouldn't be based on you making a choice, would it? You know, you don't want to, you know, put your kids in an arm lock and put a gun to their head and say, tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. And they go, I love you. And that's not very heartfelt. God doesn't want that from you either. He wants you to love him. He doesn't want to force you to love him. So in order for him not to force you, because that would be rape. He gives you free will and he says, here's, here's, what I, here's what I've done for you. Here's what I want to do for you. Here's how I see you. I love you. Would you take this gift? And so you get saved and you think the battle's over. No, the battle just begun. Because the enemy now opposes you big time because you've chosen the right side and he doesn't want you to pull your friends towards God. And so you get these attacks and you get hit by everywhere. That's why you've got to keep the armor of God on. Each and every day, pray up for that armor. Then there's no armor on the back because Jesus has your back. But the war begins. And so even as a born-again believer, even though God has supplied us with all the powers and all the spiritual gifts that we need, you still have free will. And that free will gets in the way, doesn't it? When you hear God telling you, I want you to do this, and you're like, no, I don't really want to do that. When you hear God say, hey, why don't you open your Bible and turn off the TV? Nah, this is a good program. When you hear God say, hey, go talk to that person. Ooh, I don't like that guy. We all wrestle with that, don't we? And so we know that there's this battle going on inside. What we need to do is we need to submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You So many times people tell me that I want to get closer to God. Well, he tells us that if we draw near to him, he promises to draw near to us. So who takes the first step? You do. You can have as much Jesus as you want. He says, pray without ceasing. That means he's willing to hear you without ceasing. He says, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. That means he'll, he'll hang out with you as much as you want to hang out with him. And that's where we're going to get our strength. So Paul now encourages us here in verse 17 to walk worthy of those things. He says, therefore, I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being, being alienated from a life of God because of their ignorance that's in them because of the, of the blindness of their heart and so he he lays this stuff out there he says you are no longer like this don't walk like this that as christians he says don't walk like the gentiles what he's saying right there he's just saying don't walk like the world he's referring to the world is what he's saying right there and, and it's it's so important for us to understand because the world gets confused when the church looks like the world right what do you do that looks like the world and how do you act do you do you act worldly when you're around your worldly friends or do you only act like a christian when you're around your christian friends 
right? It's so easy to slip into the world, isn't it? It's so easy for the world to take us over. We need to watch out and not look like the world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We should stand out. We're, we're not to conform to this world. We're to be transformed. We're trying to conform the world to Jesus. And so for us to go on the same playing level, well, you know what? I know I'm an alcoholic, but I'm just going to go to the bar and give my testimony. No, you're not. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do. You're a goner, right? You know that. This is the stuff that we're talking about. This is the war that we're in. This is the battle that we're in. He says, don't look like the world. You need to look so different. People need to see Jesus in your eyes, and they need to want what you have. And so he says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. What's that mean, futility? It, it means like vanity, in the vanity of mind. It doesn't mean they're stupid. There's a lot of brilliant unbelievers out there. Brilliant people. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It's just, it means they're trying to fill their lives with stuff that doesn't fill your lives. It's vanity, right? Listen, Solomon. When Solomon was a kid, how's this? God, God granted him a wish. Can you imagine? Imagine God just going, hey, tell what? You know what, Jonathan? I'm going to give you one wish, whatever you want. What would you ask for? Right? I mean, I got all kinds of things I would ask for, but Solomon, instead of asking for money and riches and power and fame, he says, give me wisdom to lead your people. And, and God was so blessed with that that he not only gave him that wisdom, but he gave him everything else too, the authority, the power, and the wealth. I mean, Solomon was like the wealthiest guy. He had the, the, the kingdom was filthy rich with gold. There was so much silver. They said silver is as common as rocks. He had the best of the best. He had these great armies. He had great horses and chariots. He had the full stretched limo chariot with spinning rims and the mariachi. I mean, he had everything. He didn't, he didn't deprive himself of anything. He had all the wealth. He had all the money. He had the best parties. He had the best feasts. He had the best food. He had the best wines. And not only that, he had a thousand women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That does not sound wise to me. <laughs> I think that's when he started to realize that this was all vanity. He starts tripping because, hey, somebody's going to be left out, right? And that's why he wrote Ecclesiastes. Because he said, listen, he didn't deprive himself of anything. He had everything. And you read Ecclesiastes, you see that. And then he comes to this decision that it's all vanity. You know what he realized? Is that you're never, you, you'll never be filled unless you have Jesus. He said, without God, this is all vain. And without using what we have for God, it's all vain. And, and that everything is just vanity. That, that you need to understand that an unbelieving person can never be filled without Jesus. Jesus brings that comfort. Jesus brings that emptiness. He fills that empty part in our lives. Because as an unbeliever, you never have enough money. You never have enough power. You never have enough authority. There's never enough drugs. There's never enough sex. There's never enough alcohol. You think that, you know, we're going to talk about the deceitfulness of lusts. Lusts are deceitful. Why? Because it says, hey, just, just give me a little, I'll be okay. And you get a little, and then it says, hey, you know what? Nah, you know, give me a little bit more. 
then we'll be fine. And then it's like, no, you know, I need a lot more. Give me a lot more and then we'll be fine. It's the deceitfulness of lust. And, and as the unbeliever, the more you get, you'll realize it doesn't satisfy me. And that Jesus shows every unbelieving man and woman that the emptiness that they're feeling can only be filled by Jesus. And that's why Paul could say later on in his life, he says, I am content whether I have a lot or little. Are you content right now with what you got? Some of you have a lot. Some of you have little. Some of you are in between. Some of you are going through things. Are you content? Are you trusting in Jesus? Is he, does he have the reins or do you have the reins? Is he the pilot or is he just your co-pilot? Are you letting Jesus run your life or are you still trying to run your life yourself? And then he goes on in verse 18 and he talks about that um, these unbelievers, one of the problems that they have is they, their understanding is darkened. They're being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And so before we came to Jesus Christ, there was a blindness in our heart. We were, we were all about us. We were all about me. We didn't want Jesus. We didn't want to be accountable to anybody. And so we were searching after the things that are, are dark. They're, they're anti-Christ. They're against the world. They're not good for us, but we didn't know it because we know there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that sin will destroy you. And so we go after those things. And, and the reason we went after those things because there was a blindness in our hearts. And that, that word there in the Greek is a word that speaks of a hardness in our hearts. That Our heart can become calloused for the things of God. Before we came to Jesus, there was a hardness in our heart. And, and many believers can get calloused too in their hearts. When, when you look at the Scriptures, when it talks about, you remember um, Moses and Pharaoh. Every time a plague came, Pharaoh softened his heart and it was like he was starting to receive what God was saying and then all of a sudden he would harden his heart. And then another plague. And then he would soften up and he'd go, all right, get out of here. I, you, you guys make me sick. Get, get lost. And then all of a sudden he changed his mind and go, no, you ain't going nowhere. And then another plague. The sad thing with Pharaoh, it, it says that he finally got to a place where God just hardened his heart, just said it. We're done. What? God did that? Yeah. See, here's the thing. God will keep calling every person. But there's going to come a time where that unbeliever who's never going to receive Jesus, that God knows that the, there's this one day where there's no more talking to him. And God says, listen, you don't want me? I'm going to give you your choice. You, you don't want me? I'm going to, okay, fine, have your way. It's not because it's what God wants. It's because he knows there's no more talking to this guy at this point. That's why I freak out when older people get saved. My friend came over yesterday. He told me his 79-year-old brother got saved. And I was like, hallelujah. Because you know what? I know by the time you're 79, your heart is so calloused. It's so hardened. Because here's the thing. Every time you hear the gospel and you reject the gospel, your heart gets a little harder. A little harder. So you start hearing it as a teenager. You get into your 20s, harder. You get into your 30s and your 40s, harder. You get into your 50s, 60s, and 70s. Oh my gosh. So when a person at that age, when God can break through a person like that, praise the Lord. As believers, we don't want our hearts to get hardened either. 
because we, we can harden our hearts with unforgiveness, uh, withholding grudges and things like that. Don't think you're above it. We still got to watch ourselves. We, we still got to be careful because you know what? The Bible talks about a seared conscience also. What's a seared conscience? A seared conscience is one that's, that's just, it's, it's callous to a point where you can sin and it doesn't even bother you anymore. Even as a believer. You're saved by grace, not of your works. I get that. But you see, here's the thing. Do you, you remember when you were a child of God and then you did something you promised God that you were never going to do again? Anybody? Okay, and then you did it, and you cried, and you wept, and you asked for repentance, and God forgave you. You said, Lord, I will never do that again, and then you did it again. And then you cried, and you wept, you asked for forgiveness, and you repented, and God was faithful to cleanse you and wash you from all that unrighteousness, and he set you on your feet, and then all of a sudden it happened again, and then again, and then again. And what happens is now, now all of a sudden it keeps happening in your life. And now you kind of get over it a little bit faster. It doesn't bother you so much until all of a sudden you can sin without wincing. That's a seared conscience. Very dangerous. We, we've all been there. We've all justified uh, why we do what we do. We've all harbored unforgiveness. Bitterness. Grudge holding backbiting, gossiping. Oh, and I've had these arguments with God, but Lord, I'm your boy. Come on, Lord. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, feed the sheep. And he's like, no, you've got to get that thing right. And he's speaking to you today. There's nobody perfect in here, but we serve a perfect God. A God who is willing to instruct you and guide you and give you the power over sin and to move you in a direction to bless others and to be a blessing to Him. But we've got to turn away from these things of the world. We've got to turn away from these deceitful lusts. We've got to turn away uh, from the vanity and focus on the things of God. In verse 19, he tells us, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. He says when people that live in the world and they don't have Jesus, and this was some of us, in other words, when you sinned, you not only sinned, you sinned big time. Right? When you were in the world and the world said, do this, I said, how many times? When the world says, I want you to try this, okay. When the word says, come over here, how long should I stay? In other words, he's saying that some of us were professional sinners. We not only sinned, we went over above and beyond. And the beauty of when that kind of person gets saved is they become extreme Jesus. Because whatever they did, they did it over the top. So I got a real heart for people that were just like the biggest messes of all times and now you just see them unfired for Jesus and that freaks people out. When you hear so-and-so got saved, their servant church, they're like, no way. They got saved? There must be a God, right? (laughs) 
So he says all these things, and in verse 20 he says, but you have not so learned Christ. In other words, you didn't learn these things from Jesus Christ. You didn't learn how to live in the world and, and, and serve your flesh. You didn't learn that from Jesus Christ. You didn't ha- you learn how to be a professional sinner from Jesus Christ. You didn't go after the darkness and the greediness and all this. You, you, you didn't learn that from Jesus. You learned that from the world. And the enemy whispering in your ear. And it's important to understand that God wants so much more for you. He says in verse 21, If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Man, we've got to put off that old man. We've got we to put that old man to death. We've got to fight the good fight. It's a battle, isn't it? Oh, man, somebody get up in my face. Oh, gosh. I remember this guy a couple years ago got up in my face. I was trying to help this one guy. He had a problem with it. The guy got up in my face. He just started spewing just all kinds of just, you know, cuss words and like spit hitting my face. And I was just standing there and, oh, the old man. Oh, I, I was just like. I just wanted to hit him. And I was thinking, you know what? I could hit this guy and nobody would see. I could get away with this. But I couldn't. Because I realized that guy needed Jesus more than anything. And I wanted to be a witness to him. Lusts are deceitful. You'll never be satisfied with the lust of the flesh. But you will always be satisfied with Jesus. He loves you so much. So God tells us to put off the old man. And as a child of God, you can never be comfortable being the old man. You know, as a Christian, you can't go back to the old ways because God won't let you be comfortable. <laughs> It's almost like when I see someone that goes back and they said, no, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. And I go, no, you're not. You're out of church. You're not even in fellowship. You've gone back to your old ways. You're living in sin. Yeah, but you know what? God loves me. Yeah, he does. He loves you enough. He's going to make you uncomfortable. You watch. It'll, you'll be back. <laughs> and it's not long where they're going, my whole life's a mess. And I go, yeah. Hmm. Told you it wasn't going to work. You know why? Here's the thing. God's ruined you for this world. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. He's ruined you to, for this world. You got too much Jesus in you to go back into the world. Oh, sure, you might you know, go back to the drugs and a little immorality, and you got a little pleasure there for a moment, but you'll ultimately be ruined because that you're not of that world anymore. So you can't get comfortable in that world anymore. But here's the problem. It's hard for you to come back to church because you got too much world in you to come back to church. You don't feel comfortable either. God just messed up everything for you, doesn't he? You're not comfortable at church. You're not comfortable in the world. What do you need to do? Repent. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Come back to church. Because you know what? I see people that are on fire for the Lord and they're just at every event. They're coming to Bible study. They're doing everything. They're reading their Bible. They're praying all the time. They're coming to prayer meetings. And then all of a sudden they start to disappear. Oh, oh, danger. Warning Will Robinson, right? You know what I mean? It's just full. It's like crazy. I tell you what, you know, people look at me and they say, Steve, you're such a rock. I go, I'm a marshmallow. 
They're like, no, you're so salt. I go, listen, you may think I'm a rock. That's because I'm in my word every day. I'm praying every day. I'm at church. I'm at everything that's going on. I have to be there because if I'm not, I'm going to get sifted like wheat. I'm not a rock. I realize he's the rock. And if I don't stay close to him, I'm a mess. I was telling some of the guys the other week, I was saying, listen, you know, I I can't imagine not being a pastor because I wouldn't be in the Word enough. And if I wasn't in the Word enough, then I'd be a real mess. I need this for my sanity. That's why we tell you guys, come out to prayer meetings. Come out to Bible studies. Get involved. Serve. Plug. I'll tell you what, the more you do it, the better your life will become. But the enemy whispers in your ear, what about me time? I need some time to myself. What about my needs? What about this? I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to make the time. Make the time. Watch yourself get blessed. Mark my words. Oh my gosh, we're running out of time. Well, that was my introduction. (laughs) Let's get into the message. Okay, so can we all admit that we're in a battle? Okay. Good. That's, that's a good start. That's a good place to be. Um, I want to read you something from Galatians chapter 5 where God warns us. He says this. He says, Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Notice who, who instigates it. The flesh. The flesh lust is against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, self-ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but some of those things just describe me. Corinthians 1 Corinthians 6 says something similar. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He says a similar thing. So what is he saying? Listen, um, you might be someone here today that says you're a Christian, but you're in one of these lifestyles. And Paul would look at you and say, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. In the last days, people will stand before Jesus. He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. Lord, I went to Calvary Chapel. Lord, I served. He says, I don't know you. Now, to encourage those who may have got convicted by some of the things I just read, I, I, I did, that God's not talking about when you make a mistake. He said, when you make it a lifestyle. We're going to all screw up. And he gives this whole list, and then Paul giving it to the Corinthians. I love what he says there at the end there in chapter 6, verse 11. He says, he reads off all these heavy, gnarly sins, and then he goes, 
and such were some of you. Doesn't that describe us? That, that's our testimony right there, isn't it? Um, well, I don't know about you, but that's mine. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the good news. And so now long, no longer do we, we, we support the flesh, but we, we want to do what the Spirit leads us to do. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it goes through a whole list of what the things are in the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. That's what it boils down to. So we fight the flesh. In verse 23, it says this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The new man. Renew in your mind. It's important for us to renew our mind. Paul begs that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he, he says, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it all starts here. We don't just sin. It starts here, right? It starts in the mind. A lot of people feel like they can't serve God because of what goes through their mind. Well, the Bible says, take your thoughts captive. James 1 tells us that temptation is not sin and that God doesn't tempt any man. Temptation is of the enemy. And temptation is not the sin. It's when we start to entertain it in our head and we start to let it go around and around and then we start to live it and then we birth it and we bring it alive and then that leads to death. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, I could never serve God because of the things that go through my mind. If you think like that, none of us are qualified. No one could serve. What's the stuff that pops into your mind when you're in church? Oh, my goodness. How about a prayer meeting? Something pops into your head. Oh. The temptation is not a sin. It's when we start to entertain it and we birth it. And it brings forth death. God's grace tells us to take our thoughts captive and lay it at His feet and keep going. Press on. Run the race and finish well. Let me close with this. I want to give you an example. Um, Zechariah chapter 3. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. This is an example of, of putting off and putting on. That you're a child of God and He's taken your filthy garments away and He's clothed you in His righteousness. And that's a wonderful thing to think on because the way God sees you. You've got to understand Satan. 
He's a deceiver. He will give you immediate gratification. Sin is fun for a season, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay, you understand that. That's why we sin. There's pleasure in it. But it ultimately destroys you. Here's the funny thing. Satan dangles the bait out in front of you, the carrot. Take it. Come on, take it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then as soon as we take it, he rats us out. Come on, take it. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. And as soon as you take it, he goes right before the Lord. He says, oh, that filthy Steve. Did you see what he did? And he goes and he accuses you before God. And it's true. But if you're a child of God, God looks at him and goes, he's one of mine. Get behind me, Satan. He's been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. You're not that old person. In chapter 3 of Zechariah, it says, Then he showed me Joshua. Joshua is not Joshua. Moses is Joshua. He's going to talk about Joshua. And Joshua was the high priest at this time. Zerubbabel was like a governor. And so God was going to have them do great things, but they were doubting. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. How's that? You're about ready to do something for God. God's ready to bless you and to empower you to do it. And Satan's right there. He wants to take you out. Satan's on the front lines. He's not in the drug houses. He's not at the the casinos. He's not at the prostitution houses. He's on the front line. He's at the churches. He's on the mission field. He's already got those other places. He doesn't need to be there. He needs to be here to destroy this church. He needs to be on the front line of the missions to stop the cause. And so God's about to do something great through Joshua and Satan standing right there. And check this out. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. It is, not, is this not a, bl- a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and he spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich That's what the Lord did for you. You're clothed in His righteousness. So He's forgiven you of your sins. He's taken away the filthy garments. He's placed His Spirit in you. You have the power to do all things in Christ Jesus. He's about to do this great thing through Joshua and Zerubbabel. He proclaims that these two are the anointed ones. They're two branches, two olive branches with this unending supply of oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, which means I can do all things in Christ. He's taken away my filthy garments. He's clothed me in his righteousness. He's given me the Holy Spirit. He's allowed me the power to do all things. And then on top of it, he says to to Zerubbabel, he says, and you're going to do these things. And he says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Lord of hosts. I hope you're encouraged to, to be used by God greatly. You only have to do one thing. Submit. It's that easy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for making it easy.
Lord, we pray now that you would give us uh, strength to believe, to go out in faith, and to be about your business. Holy Spirit, move in our congregation. And let us be a light that shines bright for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.